You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Sing it if you know it. Uh, you were ready, weren't you? Sometimes you want to what? Go. You want to sing it? Where? Yes, exactly. The theme song from Cheers. Uh, if you grew up when I did, if you're anywhere near my age, if you're older than me, um, you know that song. Uh, and the reason why that song is one of, without question, the greatest theme songs ever written, there's two reasons. First of all, the song is just good. It's catchy. Uh, you hear it one time and it's like embedded in your brain. Uh, for those of you who are maybe a little younger, I was sitting up here watching all the folks my age and older out there singing, and <clears throat> even if they didn't want to. But the bigger reason why this song is so good is that it just fully captured the whole idea behind the show Cheers. Um, Cheers wasn't really about going to a bar. It was about the fact that all of us have this internal longing to be known by other people. Um, Now, maybe you don't want to go where everybody knows your name. Some of you introverts are like, that is just creepy, and I don't want any part of that. Um, But we, we want to be known. Uh, We want other people to know who we are. We have a longing for community, to have binding relationships with one another. We have this longing to be a part of something that's bigger than us. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you, but it brings us together. The definition of community is pretty important to know. So I'm going to give it to you this morning. Thanks, Brian. So here it is. Community is a feeling of fellowship with others. A feeling of fellowship with others that's a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. So when you understand the definition and the essence of community, but you also understand the nature of humanity, what this helps you realize is that most of us are looking for community from a self-centered starting point. That, that's where it always begins. Think about this, you connect with somebody else because somewhere within you, you've determined, oh, hey, you're like me. Whether we share common interests, common goals, common desires, it all begins with me. Community, as the world defines it, always begins with me. But fellowship, fellowship, on the other hand, as Jesus defines it, always begins with the Spirit of God and the word of God. And that's what binds us together. This morning, we're coming to the end of our series, Foundations, and talking about um, how we accomplish our mission as Christ followers and as the church. Our mission is living intentionally to bring God's kingdom everywhere we go, to make disciples. How do we do that? We believe it's by worshiping, growing, and serving together. So this morning, we're going to talk about what is it that binds us together. If you open your Bible with me to the Gospel of John, 
John chapter 17. <clears throat> and speaking of together, I uh, would like to ask you to pray for our staff. We are leaving here this morning when we're through uh, and headed out on staff retreat together. Uh, we're together for about 30 hours, so pray for us as the, that the Lord will spiritually refresh us, renew us, um, bind us together, um, but also we're with each other for 30 hours, so you know who to pray for in the group, right? We'll just leave it to you. No, but please pray for us. Um, we really have a great time together and look forward to what the Lord's going to do. But look with me in John 17, Jesus knows that he is about to be arrested, and he begins praying with his disciples for his disciples. And look what he prays very specifically in verse 14. He says, Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I set myself apart that they also may be sanctified or set apart in truth. And now Jesus begins praying for you and for me. He says, I'm not praying for just these disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for all of those who will believe in me through their word, through their testimony, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. So Jesus prays, and he prays it three times, that we would all be one, so that the world would know that he has come to love them as he's loved us, loved us as the Father has loved him. He prays this several times. But what does it mean that we would be one? Does this mean that we're just always going to hold hands and nothing's going to bother us with one another and we're going to sing kumbaya together and call each other brother and sister? I mean, what is this? How is this set apart or distinct from being a part of a club and having that common interest or being part of some sort of group? Or, or being in a stadium filled with thousands of other people who are all cheering for the same thing. How is this any different, this, this oneness that Jesus is praying for? Well, let's look backward and then we'll look forward. First look with me in Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is one of the Psalms of ascent. And what that means is, these were psalms that were written and taken in Jesus' day as the Jews would have been um, progressing toward the temple, which to get to the temple, you had to ascend. They would read these psalms together on their way there. And in Psalm 133, verse 1, here's what King David writes. 
Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity or when brothers dwell together. This is David's declaration of the power of life together under the word of God. Think about what's happening as people in Jesus's day are coming to the temple and they're reading the word of God as they progress there. Why are they going there? They're going for one to sit under the teaching of the priest of God's word. And so David is saying how incredible this is as we all bring our lives together under the authority of the word. Well, what do you and I know about the word that, let's be honest, King David didn't even know? We know because John tells us in the beginning of his gospel that the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So see, you and I, we can read what David declares here in Psalm 133 and we can understand even something more radical and life-changing. Behold how good and pleasing it is when brothers and sisters dwell together through Christ. Friends, Jesus Christ alone is our unity. Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.14, he makes the statement, for he himself is our peace. There's a reason why Paul did not say to the Ephesians, for he himself is your peace, for he himself is my peace. He said, for he himself is our peace. Why? Why is Jesus our peace? Well, because he has reconciled you and you and you and you and me back to God, but he's also reconciled us to one another. Jesus Christ alone is our unity. But now turn with me to the end of the scriptures in 1 John. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Look with me in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, which you may notice sounds a little bit like the Gospel of John chapter 1. He says, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. What in the world is he talking about? All these manifesting big words in here. Who or what is John describing? He is talking about Jesus. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him, he changed our lives. And because of this, we're proclaiming it to you. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that, circle those words, so that, here's the reason why, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Christ has done is far more than just forgiveness of sins. It is all that. It is complete 
forgiveness of sin, but it is more than that. It is restored fellowship with God, and it is binding fellowship with one another. And let me add something to this, and what I'm about to say is fairly short. It's also fairly simple. However, this is probably one of the most important theological things that you and I can understand. And I also want you to know that I'm praying for you and I am encouraging you that you will begin like you are a grad student, like you've got to know this stuff, that you will begin digging into the word of God so desperately to know him that it will begin to transform who you are and what you do. Here's the statement. You and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are united in the Spirit through the Son to the Father. I don't see all of you writing. You should write this down. If it's in the, if it's in the sermon notes already, okay, great. Circle it then. I should have put it in there in big, bold letters. We are united in the Spirit... Through Jesus Christ, the Son, what he's done, his life, his death, his resurrection, to the Father. Okay? Now, we talked about community. What is community? Community is a feeling of fellowship that we have with one another that really, if we're being honest, it begins with me. I'm there in the community for self-centered reasons, and so are you. We like the same things. But now, what is fellowship? Fellowship comes from this Greek word, koinonia. Here's what fellowship is. Fellowship is the communion that we share with God, but also with one another that's based on our relationship to God in Christ. Okay, so fellowship is this drawing, this bonding that happens, this communion that we have with God and with one another based on the relationship that we have with God, Son of God, Son of God, Daughter of God, through and in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. But now John doesn't stop there. He goes further. Look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John says something pretty, pretty big here. He says, here's the thing. If we think that we have fellowship with God and with one another, but we keep living in darkness, we're lying to ourselves and each other. But if we walk in the light, we not only have fellowship with one another... We live in a constant state of confession, repentance, cleansing, and forgiveness. So what does it mean to walk in the light? We need to know this. Well, there there are two meanings or implications here. Let's talk about both of them. First of all, to walk in the light, to have fellowship with Christ, 
means that we will reflect God's holiness and righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll become self-righteous. It's actually the opposite. Okay, when you become more like Christ, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, what did Christ do? Well, he humbled himself. He became one of us. So actually, the more that God's holiness and righteousness fills us and reflects through us, the more compassionately, the more humbly we will live and walk. But when we have fellowship with Christ, when we walk in the light, we reflect God's holiness. But now, hear this. When we have fellowship with Christ and one another, our lives are known. There's nothing hidden. Remember the Cheers theme song, you want to go where everybody knows your name. And again, I know, maybe we don't necessarily want everybody to know our name. But the point is, we all want to be known. I want to go where people like know who I am. I walk in, hey, there's Brian. Hey, Brian. However, we don't want to go where anybody's up in our business. And that's our problem. I want everybody to know my name and I want them to know all the things I've neatly arranged on the surface that make the appearance of Brian what it is. But we don't want anybody up in our business. To live in the light means that I reflect who God is, but it also means that I live in this state of repentance, which means that there have to be brothers in Christ who are hearing the confession of my sin as well. It means purity because I know that, yes, Jesus Christ has cleansed me of all unrighteousness, therefore nothing is hidden with God. But you know, along with that purity, you know what else I need? I need integrity. That when you look at my life, you're seeing the actual person. I need holiness, but I need openness. So we go back to the question of, well, what does, what does it mean, this oneness that Jesus is praying for? What causes this oneness, defines it, catalyzes this oneness? Jesus does. And I know that maybe it's confusing for us. Well, so Jesus prayed for this, but Jesus is this? Yes. Explain that to me. Well, I don't really know how fully. I don't know if you're aware of this. That's part of the supernatural that we cannot fully comprehend what in the world is going on here. That's the power of the spirit. But see, Jesus is the thing that causes us to belong together, that draws us together, that binds us to one another. It's only him. Our fellowship is founded on the bond that we have, that we have been supernaturally drawn back and reconciled to the Father, but also that we have a supernatural awareness of it. If you read Romans 8, Paul is like freaking out and celebrating the fact that the Holy Spirit, even in times of discipline and rebuke, thank you, God, that your Spirit testifies within me that I'm a child of God. 
See, when the Spirit's testifying within you that I belong to the Lord, even if it's in the midst of discipline and rebuke, and the Spirit's testifying within me, something within us both, the Spirit of God, draws us together. Spiritual love, fellowship, is bound solely to the word of Jesus Christ. And and friends, we have a word that we can use for the word of Jesus Christ, and that word is truth. And so to have that fellowship, that koinonia, you know what I need? I need people in my life who will speak truth. I love friends. I'm totally open to having even more friends than I have right now. But I will say to you, what I need in my life are other men who will be willing to look at me and say, hey, Brian, I got to be honest with you, understanding what's going on here. Um, I think that maybe you've allowed your feelings, your emotions, your circumstances to overwhelm you. And right now you are not standing and living on the truth of who God says you are, of who God proclaims he is, of what Jesus Christ has done. So your life right now looks like this. Let's get it back to this. I had to text the brother uh, the other morning and say, I need you to pray for me. I am struggling with some bitterness in my life. Immediately knew that two of my brothers were going to war for me in prayer. I don't just need some folks to know my name. I need people to know my business. I need fellowship. You need fellowship. And it is based on truth. I know many of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German doctor. He was also a Christian. Bonhoeffer was here in America when the struggle against Nazi Germany broke out against the begging of many of his friends, Bonhoeffer felt compelled to go back to Germany because he felt that he could not, number one, run from the struggle, but number two, that he had to, as a Christian, confront evil. A lot of people have the impression that the only folks who were in concentration camps were Jews. Not the case. There were many, many Christians, many, many people there who harbored and protected Jews or simply just would not side with Nazi Germany. Bonhoeffer was one of those people. Bonhoeffer wrote a lot. Um, Two of his books have very radically impacted my life. One of them is called The Cost of Discipleship. And uh, that book is pretty heavy duty. And then there's this book. You can see how small this book is. This book is called Life Together. And you know, when you read the letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote, or you read Paul's letter to Timothy, obviously they're 
They're powerful. But then when you learn where Paul was and what he was going through, that he was facing persecution and suffering and he was imprisoned, they become even more powerful. And you know, for me, when there's a man who's writing about what the fellowship of God looks like, and then I begin to understand that this is a man writing about it who had had it taken from him and ultimately had his life taken because of it, um, that makes me pause and think, maybe he has a better window into this than I do. I want you to read an excerpt with me from this book, which by the way, Two, two little side notes here. First of all, I won't encourage you to read anything that I don't believe isn't going to drive you into the word of God because that's what you ultimately need. We have these right out here in the breezeway. They cost like 10 or 15 dollars. We have them for 10. If you don't have 10 dollars, but you think, man, I'd like to read that book, take it. But look at what Bonhoeffer says about what we've been talking about, what Jesus is praying for. He says, The basis of all spiritual reality is the clear, manifest word of God in Jesus Christ. Okay? So you and I, if you're a Christian, you obviously need to understand spiritual things. We need spiritual growth. Bonhoeffer says, The only way to get there is the word of God being manifested in your life. On the other side, The basis of all human reality is the dark, turbid urges and desires of the human mind. The basis of the community of the spirit is truth. The basis of human community of spirit is desire. So what's Bonhoeffer saying? He's saying this, you and I have a choice. Either we keep aiming for community, like, hey, I'm totally okay with just continually having these surface relationships that are rooted in, birthed from, and ultimately always come back to me. There's option one or option two. I can have fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ that is based on truth. It's rooted in truth. It's birthed from truth. It always comes back to truth. The essence of the community of the spirit is light. For God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Friends, we've got to reverse our thinking. We have to ask the Lord to reverse our thinking and stop seeking out community that's birthed from and based on my interests, my desires, my actions. I don't need that first and foremost. Is community okay? Absolutely. But what I desperately need is fellowship with other believers that is based on truth. If you begin to have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, I assure you, you will have community. You will. But our community 
the kind that Chad was talking about a few moments ago, the kind that Jesus is praying for, it's based, it's rooted in, it rests solely in what Christ has done both to and for both of us. Most of us probably walk in this room on a Sunday and we don't think a lot about the instrumentation of what's going on up here. And I would like to point out, today's a, an exception to the rule, probably not the best example of what I'm about to describe to you because this is Acoustic Sunday, okay? But on any giving, given Sunday, you can come in here and there can be four guitars up here at one time. Two acoustics, an electric, a bass guitar. You probably don't walk in, stop in the back and pause and go, ah, oh, yes, they're all in tune. I will proceed. You just don't think about it unless you are weird like me who does think about crazy things like that. However, if you come in here one Sunday and one of those guitars is not in tune, I don't care if you're the least musically inclined person on earth, you will probably know something is off in here. Now see, for me, if there's one guitar up here out of four and like the B string is sharp Oh, I will be in the back and like I will feel it in my lower back right at the top of my rear end. Like it's like a knife stabbing me. And some of you are like, you have problems. It's, it's because of hearing these things. Okay. But here's why we usually don't even think about these things. We have these magical things here called tuners. And, and you may wonder, why do the guys come up there and, you know, pop on these things? Are they like tapping Morse code to someone? What's going on there? They're tuning. And, and they, they don't really think about this because it's just automatic that like Andy's tuner and Lee's tuner and Ethan's tuner, Matt's tuner, they're all together. They're all tuned to the same standard. And see, you've got to have something that's faithful and consistent that brings everything together. Now, piano tuners, some of you, if you're young and maybe you're thinking about a career, piano tuners, these people make some money because they got to be smart. But you can go to school to learn how to tune a piano. And see, they use this old school thing called a fork. But let's say that I was a piano tuner and that I was supposed to tune all the pianos in a school. I would not go in and find piano one and use my fork and tune piano one, put my fork away, and then go tune piano two to piano one, and then go tune piano three to piano two, and piano four to piano three, and so on, you get my point. Because somewhere down the line here, they'll stop being in tune. See, you won't see Lee come up here and tune his guitar and then walk over to Andy and pluck his string real loud and Andy just say, okay, I'm going to tune to you and then Andy move over and Matt tune to him. It doesn't work unless everybody has perfect pitch. And that's probably not happening. They've all got to be tuned to the same standard. Tozer um, articulates this way more powerfully than I can. I want to share with you something he says. 
in the pursuit of God. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So, 100 worshipers meeting together, praising together, praying together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Do you understand what Tozer is saying? If you and I, the first thing that we're bent on is just finding this community with one another based on geography or interest or phase of life or whatever, and our fellowship is an afterthought, we're going to miss it. But see, you and I, when you are tuning your life to another standard, and I'm tuning my life to another standard, and the Word of God and the Spirit of God are the thing that bring us together, we have fellowship with one another, and we are in constant awareness that Jesus Christ is what binds us. That's what we need. Community, as the world defines it, it always begins with me. My interest, my desires, me. But fellowship, as Jesus Christ defines it, it always begins with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. It always begins with truth. That's what binds us together. So I would ask you this morning, friends, to prayerfully consider, are you, are you walking in the word? Are you growing in the word? Are you living in the spirit? Are you walking in the light? If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Friends, my prayer for you and for me is that we would not settle for community as the world defines it but that because we have been changed by the person of Jesus Christ, that his word would transform us in such a way that we would find that fellowship with one another and walk in the light. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we ask that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to reveal what may be hidden. Lord, that we would understand our fellowship for lack of a better way of putting it Lord our fellowship will only be as good as we allow our lives to be open before you and before one another 
Lord, we pray as David did this morning that you would search our hearts. Lord, that you would show us if there's anything in our life that we're trying to sweep under the rug. Lord, if there's unconfessed sin, Lord, we desire to walk in the light. We desire to have fellowship with one another. Lord, we desire that people would see our lives. Lord, that we are one so that they will know that you have come to show them love. In just a moment, as we respond to the Lord this morning, we have the opportunity to take communion. I want to encourage you, whether you come alone, uh, with a friend, with your family, that you take a few moments to very intentionally remember that Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life his body was broken his blood was spilled so that you and I might be reconciled back to the Father and to one another if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, you, you don't know Jesus. Man, we have been praying for you that the Holy Spirit will be drawing your heart. In just a few minutes, some of our pastors, our elders, our leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. They would love to talk to you, to pray with you, to share with you the good news that Jesus Christ has come so that you might have life. Lord Jesus, in these moments, we acknowledge and we remember what you have done for us. And we proclaim that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Be exalted in this place. invite you to quietly stand. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.